Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly. And pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at EdenWorshipCenter.co. Open your Bible with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we want to continue with uh, our study in this tremendous epistle. Last week, uh, I shared with us, and it's been kind of a wonderful thing that uh, I get to preach two Sundays in a row. But last week, I shared with you some things about two priests that the writer of the Hebrews talks about, one standing and one seated. The one standing represents the Old Testament Levitical priesthood who had to offer the sacrifices again and again and again and again, year after year, day after day, because the Old Testament sacrifice for the atonement of sin only covered the sins of the people, whereas Christ, who dies once for all, the perfect Lamb of God, takes away sin for all time. Therefore, Jesus Christ, our great high priest, is the author of a new and better covenant with better promises. And we saw earlier in our study where the writer of the Hebrews says that he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And it's important to remember, as the, the Jewish people, the Jewish believers, who were hearing this epistle to the Hebrews for the first time, understood so much of what we don't understand. They understood it because of their Jewish culture. They understood that in the Old Testament, the priest could never become a king. And the king could never become a priest. And remember we talked about Uzziah. Good King Uzziah, who makes this fatal mistake of trying to function like a priest. And God judges him with leprosy. He's separated from God. He's separated from his family. He dies a horrible death. Because the two could never be one. And yet we have in Genesis, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who is also a priest, the Bible says, of the Most High God. So Jesus Christ then fills this role that is uh, given to us in Melchizedek, who had no beginning and who had no end, who is both a king and a priest. And we've been seeing the writer of the Hebrews just again and again state and then restate in a little different way, adding a new dimension to this whole argument, if you please, this whole discussion, this case that he's making, that Jesus is better. And we have a new covenant with better promises. Not that the old was bad, but what has come, the new, fulfills the old and brings greater blessings and greater promises. Well, again, in the passage that we're going to look at today, 
the writer to the Hebrews is going to build on this foundation that he has been laying. I, I love what we're going to look at here in a few weeks when we get into uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. The word assurance there in the Greek, and I, I'm not a Greek scholar, but praise God for books and resources and friends who understand this stuff, and I can check it out. The word is hypostasis. Kind of a fancy word. It means a concrete reality that will not move one on which you can build. Our faith is this hypostasis. And if, if you'll permit me to reminisce a little bit, some of you know that before we moved here to beautiful downtown Honeyville, we had built a building on State Road 5 that is still a church. I will never, ever, ever forget when the foundations were dug, we poured the concrete with the reinforcing rods. I know nothing about construction. Tell me to drive where to drive a nail, I can drive a nail. Won't look pretty, but I'll get it in. So the, the foundations have been poured and the architect comes to inspect things. I see him with his hands behind his back, just walking all around, looking at the foundation and just shaking his head. Great man of faith that I am, I thought, oh no. We have spent thousands of dollars on putting this foundation in the ground. And it's all wrong. We're going to have to tear it out and build it. Re rebuild it. And I remember the architect looking at me at one point. He said, why did you put in a foundation like this? I said, I don't know. What's the matter with it? He said, nothing. It's so much more than you will ever need. This building will never move. And I went, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> now, I share that story not only to make fun of myself, but to also help us to understand that what the writer of the Hebrews has been doing has been laying a biblical theological foundation upon which we can build a foundation that will never move. So when we get to chapter 11 here in another week or two, and we read the opening verse there, that faith is the hypostasis, this concrete reality which will not move upon which we can build, it's going to help us to understand what's happening. So that we understand, as the writer of the Hebrews wanted these Jewish believers to understand, that they were standing on firm, solid, biblical foundations. Things that had been prophesied in the Old Testament that are now fulfilled in Christ. And they were not moving in heresy. Are you tracking with me? Does this make sense? Some of you have that viewing headlights look, but that's okay. I'm glad you're here looking at me anyway. So, the writer of the Hebrews is going to build on this foundation. He's also going to give us three encouragements where he's going to say, let us, let us, let us. And then it's going to conclude with a, a very solemn, somber warning. Because when Jesus Christ comes back again, he's not just coming back to claim his bride, the church. He's coming back in judgment. And he is the judge. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. 
Would you stand together with me as we give honor to the Word of God this morning? And we're going to begin reading in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, on down through, excuse me, verse 31. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere hearts and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together as the, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there, is, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will not consume, which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who tramples underfoot the Son of God and has regard has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant? by which he was sanctified, and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that you will open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. I pray that you'll bless the word of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. Let nothing bitter or critical come forth. Let it be sweet water as becomes the Holy Spirit. The living water which brings life. Thank you for your word, for your presence with us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Every word in Scripture is, is important and significant. When we look at verse 19, it says, Since, therefore. You know the old adage. When you see the word therefore, you need to discover what it's there for. Why is it there? It's marking a new section with practical applications based on the truth that the writer has been discussing this foundation that he's been laying. And the exhortation to let us is the next logical steps on a truly remarkable work of the great high priest that we have, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I, I said this last week, I've said it already this morning, let me say it again. We need to keep in mind that all these references to the Old Testament sacrificial system, what we read today about the sprinkling entering through the veil, this whole system of tabernacle worship 
and temple worship was something that these first century Hebrew believers understood thoroughly. It's much more difficult for us living here in 2021 in Northeast Indiana. It's much more difficult for us to comprehend and appreciate the profound significance that they would have just understood. And maybe just kind of put it in this context. Uh, there are things living in this community that we say that makes sense to us, that doesn't necessarily make sense to outsiders. I love Chuck and Chuck's sense of humor. And I love his perspective on things. And there are things that we just understand intuitively. I remember when we were going to add on an addition to the building that we had on State Road 5. Chuck knows what's coming, and so does Kareem. But it's things that we understand. And I say this humorously, so it helps us. Oh, bless you. What a man of God. I should have thought to do this. Thank you. So we were going to add this addition. Now, being typical Eden Worship Center, we often pick the worst time of the year. It was January, and it was, I have pictures of it. It was miserable. But I announced in church that we were going to start work on this addition, and we were going to have a frolic. Those of us from an Amish Mennonite background, living in this community, know what we're talking about. If we're going to have a frolic, right? Chuck came to me very respectfully. This fits into our adult class this morning that many of you missed out on. Thank you, Tim, for leading us in that. Oh, you still love me. That was not a nice comment that I made about you missing out on it, but you did. Um, so Chuck comes to me and he said, uh, a pastor, we're having a frolic. And I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm from New Jersey. And when we have a frolic in New Jersey, it means we go to the water, take off all, all of our clothes and go swimming. <laughs> I said, Chuck, it means something different here. <laughs> Now we laugh, but I, I tell that story because in that, those of you that laughed and understood what it means to have a frolic in Northeast Indiana can appreciate what it was like for these first century Hebrew believers as they're receiving this epistle to the Hebrews and there's all of this discussion, all of these inferences to the priests and the veil and the sprinklings and the washings. They understood it perfectly. For us, not so much. It, it's, a, it's a struggle. Well, let's look at these encouragements. Because they're very practical, they're very important. Let us draw near. And I talked a little bit about that last week. We draw near with a sincere heart. The blood of Jesus, God's perfect sacrifice, not only covered the sins, but took it away. And here again, notice that what it talks about in verse 22, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. These first century Jewish believers understood the sprinkling with the water. That's something that we're not accustomed to 
in our worship services. They would have understood having bodies washed with pure water. It's more difficult for us. And because of that, we have this full assurance, we have a sincere heart that we can come, as the scripture says in another place, boldly to the throne of grace, crying, Abba, Father. We are called to draw near. And I think Sunday mornings like this Sunday morning, where things are a little bit different, and, and thank you, worship team, for, for leading us this morning, and with our two lead pastors not here, things are a little different. But what a reminder it is to us that we are here to worship the living God. We're not here to be irritated. We're not here to have everything move just like clockwork and everything fit together perfectly. We're here to draw near. We can approach God with confidence, knowing that in Christ Jesus, our sins have been and are being forgiven. You've heard me share this before, uh, but it's such a profound reality to me. Growing up as, an, as a teenager, I always thought God walked around with a great big stick waiting for me to step out of line so bam, he could smack me. I dare say, I don't think I'm the only one. And when something bad happens, my first thought was always, oh no, what did I do wrong? You know, sometimes in this life, bad things happen to good people. And it doesn't mean that they've sinned. It just means we live in a fallen world, and sometimes bad things happen to good people. God is not walking around with a big stick waiting for you to step out of line so he can smack you. Now, he will let you suffer the consequences of your own choices. But in that, he's always drawing near. Drawing us near to him, closer to him. Come unto me, Jesus said. All of you who are weak and are heavy laden, and I will beat you with the Bible. Now you know he didn't say that. He said, come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm so thankful that we serve a God who is a just God, a God of love. He is a God of wrath. But in God, we don't have to constantly fear Him. But we can come boldly to the throne of grace. I love the story that is told about the little boy who went to see the president. And they wouldn't let him into the White House. Now this was back during the administration of Abraham Lincoln. And the soldiers wouldn't let him in. And he's sitting on the steps and crying. And this little boy comes and says, Why are you crying? He said, I want to see President Lincoln. The little boy says, Come with me. And he takes him by the hand. Walks into the White House. And the guards separate. The soldiers separate. And this little boy 
takes another little boy in to see his dad. It was the president's son. What an image that through the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, come with me. Come with me. I'll take you to the Father. I love that story. I hope it's true, but I hope I'm told it is in history. But boy, how it illustrates the point that in Christ Jesus, he says, come with me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, let me take you to the Father. We have access to him. Oh, church, how that needs to just take hold of our heart. We need a revelation of that. One of the things that, that I often say uh, in preaching and teaching in different parts of the world is that, you know, revelation brings illumination that results in our transformation. You can have information, but if you just have information, it just fills you up with knowledge. But when you get a revelation of God's Word, it brings illumination, it shines that light of truth into that dark area of our life, and it transforms us forever. Church, if we went away this morning with nothing else than the reality in our heart, the revelation in our heart, that in Christ Jesus, He says, come with me, I paid the price, let me take you into the Father. You have free access to the Creator God of the universe. When that becomes a reality in our heart, no longer will we ever just pray and then quickly close in prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Suddenly, there's been revelation that brought illumination that resulted in our transformation, and when I close my prayer, I don't say it as quickly as I can, say it with reverence and awe and faith and wonder and glory that in Jesus' name I pray. Because I have access to the Father. Here's a fill in the blank for you. I like what Dr. Albert Moeller said. He said, God grants us assurance not on the basis of man's faith, but on the basis of Christ's faithfulness. You see, faith is not based on my ability to believe God for anything. Faith is based on God's ability to deliver on His Word and His faithfulness to do what He promised to do. So often we fall into the trap that says, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to stay in faith. No, I rest in the faith of the one who is, who is faithful. 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, I love this. Uh, John says, These things I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request for which we have asked Him. Boy, you talk about assurance. You talk about confidence. 
There's just a number of things that are just flooding through my mind right now as I read this passage of Scripture. To know that you know that you know that you know that your sins are forgiven and they're under the blood. Not because I feel like I'm forgiven, but because God's Word declares it. If you live your life on feelings, which we do so often as teenagers, believe you me, shared with you last week that I got saved about 37 times, generally several times a day because of my messed up life. Because I was living based on how I felt rather than what God's Word declares. The assurance. And I know there are sincere people who say that you cannot know that you are saved. But God's Word here in 1 John 5 makes it clear. I've written these things so that you may know. I love that old hymn of the church says, For I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto that day. Faith not based on my faith. No, that assurance is not based on my faith. It's based on his faithfulness. That's why. He says, we draw near with a sincere heart. Number two, the call is in verse 23 to hold fast to the confession of our faith. It's a call here to spiritual endurance. I love Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, uh, and I hope I, yeah, we have a slide for you here. Paul writes there, therefore, having been justified by faith, when we see justified, what does it mean? Just as if we've never done it. Amen? We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This finished work, this sacrifice once and for all, through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also celebrate in tribulation. How many of us do that? Come on, let's be honest. When things go bad, most of us have a pity party. Amen? Poor me. It's because I'm focusing myself on myself and not the one in whom I have believed. Sorry, that just is not part of the scripture that just came out, okay? We also celebrate in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation works. Perseverance, perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Why? Because of the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given unto us. Kids, how many of you have ever had a birthday? Good. Meet you alive. You're here. Did your mom ever make you a birthday cake? Yeah. What's on the birthday cake? Frosting. That's why we eat cake, is to eat and get frosting, all right? Anything else on your cake? Candles. candles. How many candles? A hundred candles. <laughs> okay. You look remarkably young for being a hundred years old. 
So we put the number of candles, whatever age you are. You're five? You're five, too? Oh, he's only got two fingers. Three fingers. Okay. So, what, what, what happens with the candles then? Oh, what do you do before you blow them out? You make a wish. And then you blow them out. Unless mom is really ornery and buys these candles that once you blow them out, it's like you blow out, but they come back on. Ever had those? Yeah, just imagine being 74 years old and having to blow so. Now, here's a fill in, fill in the blank for us. And I ask us this so that we understand. We understand what it is to make a wish. But I just read to us from Romans chapter 5. Hope is not a dream. Hope is not a wish. Hope is a person. And I know that within this community that there's a particular religious group that, that talks about the blessed hope that we have. That we hope we're going to have it. But I want to say our hope is founded in a, in a person. That's why I love 1 Timothy chapter 1 and, uh, and verse 1. Where he, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and Jesus Christ, help me read the end of that, who is our hope? I quoted to you from that, that hymn of the church, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. Our hope is not a wish. It's not a dream. It's not like making a wish and blowing out our birthday candles. Our hope is a person. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ and we can trust Him. And the Christian doesn't hold fast to this confession of faith because of the strength of, of his personal ability to stand in faith or to walk in faith or simply to hold on until Jesus comes. I remember years ago being in churches uh, as Janice and I were traveling, and you'd hear people give testimonies, and they'd say, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, people say, pray that I can hold out till Jesus comes. Folks, if we're holding out, something is wrong. The reality is, he holds on to us. Which leads us to the third exhortation in verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate. One translation says how to stir up one another. And what's interesting in these verses is that the writer of the Hebrews speaks in time in terms of past, present, and future. God's faithfulness in keeping his Old Testament promises which he made in the past that are now fulfilled in the promise of sending Jesus Christ who is the Messiah. How in the present, how do we stir one another up? See, we're holding fast to our confession without wavering. We're considering how to stir up each other right now and here and now. You know, there's something about us being together now in corporate worship that regularly reminds us of God's faithfulness and it's stirring us up. The future, 
as we see the day drawing near, you see that in verse 25. They understood what that meant, the day of the Lord. I, I want to say something. Kids, teenagers, for all of us, in fact, as we talk about time, it's important to understand that time is a human unit of measure. We talk about our past, we are living in our present, and we anticipate what will be our future. But God dwells outside of time. That's why the Bible will say something like, a day with the Lord is, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day, because He dwells outside of time. Time is a human unit of measure. Therefore, when God looks at my life, when he sees what I call my past and my present and what I hope to be my future, for God, from his perspective, it's all a part of his eternal now. Just let that sink in. So when God looks at my life, he sees my life as a whole. What has been my past, what I'm living in the present, and what I hope to be my future. He knows it all. If I could just follow up with this whole thing of how we encourage one another. We talked in adult class this morning. How do we encourage one another to greater faithfulness, greater involvement? How do we encourage people to get plugged in to the life of the church, get plugged in to the, the Sunday school, get plugged in on a Sunday morning, to get plugged into community groups because it's in these areas that life really flows and we find fellowship and we find encouragement. I like what Dr. Albert Moeller uh, said. We can't have confidence and full assurance of faith apart from the church. You cannot endure in isolation. And yet we have this mindset in North American culture where you have so many people saying, well, I'm a Christian and I don't need the church. I don't have to go to church. That's their mindset. I also read that the assembling of believers is a reflection an outward indication of an inward condition of my heart. I'll tell you when, when my heart's right towards God, I want to be with the people of God. Friday morning in our breakfast group, one of the things that I shared with the men that were together, I read this somewhere. He said, if a man's faith will not get into church, it will be doubtful if it, it will get him to heaven. I also thought, okay, if you don't need the church, why would you want to go to heaven? Because it's going to be full of believers. I was going to say, stick that in your pipe and smoke it, but that wouldn't be very spiritual. <laughs> so, so what's the purpose of our gathering together? First of all, it's to worship God. This morning was a reminder again. Every Sunday morning is a reminder that it's not about a performance or a production. That's why there are some Sundays where we will have nothing but just 
a simple guitar and one individual leading us in worship. We want to remind ourselves what the focus is. It's on him. It's not us. And if I come to church and I go away and say, well, I didn't get anything out of it today. So what? Now, you know my heart. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be blessed. I, I want you to go away with something good. But church, our time together is not for us. We gather together for Him and to worship Him. And yet the sad reality is that in our consumer society, we have brought that mentality to the church. Where it's all about me getting something out of it. But the truth is, it's me bringing not only the offering, which we'll take up later, but me bringing my heart, my life, my worship to God. That's what it's all about. It's to have fellowship, to encourage each other. And let's face it, as I look at our congregation, we're, we're pretty spread out. Some of you drove more than a half hour to get to church. And for many of us, the only time we see each other is on a Sunday morning. What a great thing to have fellowship together. That's why community groups are important. But it's also to encourage one another. What's going on in your life? How do I pray for you? How's work going? We need that. I like what R.C. Lenski wrote as he was put together a volume on the Epistle of the Hebrews and the epistle to James, he summarized these three encouragements this way. He said the first admonition deals with the heart, the second with the mouth, our confession, and the third with our conduct. The first has to do with our hearts towards God, the second with the world, and the third with the church. Now let's see if we can bring this passage of scripture together here. Because our, our title for today is Jesus our Judge. And in verses 26 through 31, the writer of the Hebrews brings a stern warning. And I, I go into this guardedly because as I said, growing up in the church that I did, and they were trying to be faithful to the scriptures, but was, what was so often communicated was that God was angry. God walked around with a big stick and was just waiting for you to step out of line so he could smack you. And what we did was more out of fear than of love. Now we know that fear will bring about a degree of compliance. But it doesn't change the heart. And you can't serve God over the long term because you fear him. But a little healthy fear is good. Look at verse 26. Interesting choice of words here. If we go on sinning willfully. And I, I looked up some things related to that word willfully. That adverb in the original text makes it very plain that this sin is both deliberate and intentional. This is not a sin of ignorance. It's not a sin of weakness. It is a conscious choice. 
And then the writer of the Hebrews makes this application in verse 28. He said, think about those, this is the Gingrich translation by the way, think about those who defied the law of Moses. They were judged, they were condemned out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. They died and there was no mercy. Think about what happened in the book of Joshua when Achan lusted after things, stole things that were under the ban when Jericho was destroyed, hid it in his tent, buried it under the tent. And what happened? When his sin is exposed, not only did Achan die, but his whole family were stoned to death. There was no mercy. You see, these first century Hebrew believers would have understood all of that. They knew all those Old Testament stories better than we do. And then the writer to the Hebrews says, if there was no mercy, when the laws of Moses were defied, how much worse is it going to be if we trample underfoot the Son of God if we disregard, and that word disregard there, the sense means to, to just regard as meaningless or unclean the blood of Jesus. And then quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 32, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. The Lord will judge. Vengeance belongs to God. By the way, do you realize? Now think about the imagery of the whole armor of God in Ephesians. That we're holding the shield of faith. Do you realize you can't hold the sword of vengeance and the sword of the word at the same time? And besides, who do you want to vindicate you? Yourself or God? That's a message for a whole other day. I'll tell you what, I would sooner have God vindicate me than me try to do it myself and take vengeance. <laughs> that was free. That was not in the notes. But it's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands, verse 31 says, of a living God. Now there is great discussion, there is great debate within the Christian community. Can a Christian lose their salvation? That's a discussion for another day. But next week we're going to look at verse 39. You have your Bible open. Take a look at that. I love this. Because he's talking about this disregarding the Word of God. He says, but we are those who shrink back from this, but we are not those who shrink back, but those who have faith for the, for the preserving of our souls. God's in control. Here's the point as we bring this all together this morning. The God we serve is living. He's sovereign. He's eternally active. His judgment is coming. We will give an account 
as believers, we will give an account of how we have lived our lives, how we have served Him. We will give an account of our faithfulness. And I believe there's a difference between being lost and being a Christian who gives an account for what I've done or not done. The Bible talks about wood, hay, and stubble. It's much of what we've done is just wood, hay, and stubble. And when the judgment of God comes, that's all going to burn up. Fortunately, we will still be saved. But a lifetime of effort will have been for naught and will have not meant anything lasting for the kingdom of God. For believers, our God's a God of love, of mercy, and grace. But for those who are defiant, who are resistant of God, and I pray that there is nobody here today, nobody listening online, that is saying, God, I want nothing to do with you. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to rule my life. I'm going to do what I want to do and when I want to do it. That kind of defiance. Tragically, you've set yourself up for the wrath of God. For the judgment of God. A God who is to be dreaded and it's a somber warning that the writer to the Hebrews gives here. So the question becomes to them, do you know him? Or do you just know about him? Do you know him? Have you opened your heart and life? And in simple faith, you know, I love that little song that I learned, that song that I learned as a boy, simple faith. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, profound truth, come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart. Jesus. You know, when we pray that with a sincere heart, He does just that. Would you stand together and pray with me? judgment. We deserve wrath. And yet, in your mercy and grace, you sent the Lord Jesus to die in our place. And because we, we have received that gift of grace, we're forgiven. Our sins aren't just covered, they're taken away. I pray that as the scripture says, it will become a reality within our hearts this morning. As John writes and says, I've written these things that you may know. Father, would you seal in our hearts that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know. That because of the finished work of Christ, which we have received by faith, 
Our sins are forgiven. And we, they're under the blood. God, may we also understand afresh that we have a responsibility to, and a privilege to draw near to you. That we need to be encouraging each other. That we need to stand in faith and faithfulness with a, with a testimony that our lives reflect your glory and that we represent you well. And then, Father, may we live our lives in the light of the truth that you are coming again. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. But it will be. And may each day that we live be controlled by the knowledge that the day is drawing near and that you're coming again for your church, but also to judge the world. May we live our lives in such a way as to be pleasing to you. I pray for anyone who is here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that in simple faith they, they'll pray the prayer of that children's song, come into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Not on the basis of emotion or feelings, but based on the truth of your promise in your word. That you are standing at the door and knocking. And when we hear your voice and open the door, you do come. I pray for those who, who struggle with the assurance of their salvation. They, they, they made the commitment before, but they struggle with assurance. I pray that you will seal that blessed assurance within their hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're doing things a little differently this morning. I would encourage you as families in your bulletin, there's some things with family talk. I want to take, encourage you to find time today where you talk together about practical ways about how do we draw near to God. Read Hebrews 10, 24. Talk about some ways that we can encourage one another to love and to good deeds. Talk about the importance of making church attendance a priority in our life. And why being in church on a regular basis really is important. And then talk, especially with your kids, with your teenagers, about how we know, how do you know that we have assurance of salvation? And what does it mean to live in anticipation of the return of Christ? And then end it with a time of prayer where you give thanks to God for the gift of His Son, for the salvation that we have through faith in Christ. And then ask God to give you grace to continue to stand and to walk in faith and faithfulness. As we close this morning, I'd like us to just sing together and if you brought an offering as we sing together, please bring it as we sing this glorious, glorious truth from this church, uh, Songs of the Church. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound.
joining our online service. We pray it was a blessing to you. We are grateful for these resources God has provided, especially in this time of pandemic and separation. If you'd like to find out more about EWC and give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co. 